What's up, everybody? Happy Saturday. Welcome to a weekend edition of Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. Thrilled to have you aboard with us uh, Saturday afternoon, getting ready for LSU South Carolina and hoops, kind of hanging out at the house. and thought, you know what? I missed a bunch of shows this week. Let me knock out a podcast here in case maybe you're driving around town, doing some grocery shopping, hanging out, whatever it may be, uh, before LSU and South Carolina and hoops this afternoon. Uh, get a little uh, content for you. Uh, well, a little bit of personal news as we start. We'll preview the LSU South Carolina game and got a lot of questions earlier today about, um, the uh, potential replacement for Jerry Sullivan on the LSU football coaching staff. So we'll get into that here in a bit. So I'll, I'll begin with just a, a tad of personal news. And so I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast, uh, listen to my radio show as well and, uh, have probably followed, uh, our, our family's journey for a long time. And many of you probably know that we were in Houston this week. Uh, my son, Drew, who's four and a half, um, was scheduled to have his third uh, open heart surgery uh, yesterday on Friday. And um, the, uh, the the space shuttle was uh, was on the launch pad and the uh, mission was aborted. So uh, his doctors essentially decided that um, after going through the battery of preoperative tests, that they'd rather not do the surgery now. Uh, it's something that is inevitable that he will have to have. He, he had two open heart surgeries at four months old uh, within two weeks of each other. Uh, and after those, we knew that another was going to be inevitable, um, with sparing you a lot of the, the medical jargon. We knew that, that another surgery was inevitable. We just didn't know when. And, uh, in August, um, the issue that, that Drew had, uh, has worsened, uh, his doctors decided, Hey, let's tinker with some medicines, check again in three months to see if it's improved any. If it hasn't, then we, we need to bring in surgery. Um, uh, that was in November. The issue did not improve, so Drew was booked for uh, surgery at Texas Children's Hospital. So we packed up our lives and were planning to be there uh, for probably about a month or so for surgery, post-op, and recovery. Um, and on uh, Thursday morning, after you know two days full of tests and, and uh, his medical team kind of wavering back and forth as to whether or not they wanted to to proceed with the surgery now or wait ultimately Thursday morning, they made the decision to, uh, to wait. So we appreciate everybody who's offered prayers for our family. A lot of people have asked, you know, is this, so is this good news? Well, it's kind of a micro and macro issue you know, in the short term, the micro, obviously it's good news that my son's here and happy and you know, he didn't have to have his, his chest opened and his heart operated on. So in that sense, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good that it, it's not emergent right now. Um, the, the bad or the, the, is the uncertainty, which is, um, I know this isn't a pleasant way of saying it, but in some respects, Drew's kind of a, uh, a, a ticking time bomb. Like we, we know that at some point his issue will start to become symptomatic. And whenever that happens, that's when we rush to surgery. And that's just not a pleasant thought. So for, look, I, I, I know. That's probably not why you listen to the podcast, but it's why I was not publishing the podcast this week, uh, because we were in Houston and we were going through a, a, like full days of travel and then, you know, batteries of tests and preoperative exams and blood work and echoes and all that sort of stuff. And it just wasn't practical. Um, I was taking care of family. So anyway, um, and that'll always be my priority. So anyway, but that's why, um, you didn't hear from me this week and, uh, for those that, that have been following our, our 
our family and have been offering prayers. We certainly sincerely appreciate that. And, um, and hopefully you'll continue to pray for, for Drew and for his healing and for all of us during this time. So sincere thanks. But, uh, as for now, we're kind of just back into our normal status quo of life. But, um, but sincere thanks to everyone who, uh, who has offered support and prayed for our family. Uh, locked on LSU, your team every day. Quick, quick break. We'll come back. LSU hoops back on the hardwood today at home against South Carolina. Battle of unbeatens in the SEC. We'll get into that when we come back. Locked on LSU, your team every day. Glad to have you back with us here. Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. You can catch me every weekday, ESPN Radio in Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, television simulcast on CST. Actually had a, um, a listener of the show was in a Bentonville, Arkansas, uh, found us on CST, Cox Sports Television, uh, I guess at her hotel, snapped a picture of her TV and was just blown away. Said, oh my God, I can't believe I'm AFR in Bentonville, Arkansas. Yep. Uh, 18 states, 5 million homes, wherever you have Cox Cable, you have Cox Sports Television, uh, you have after further review. So we'll be on your TV every weekday afternoon. We appreciate you for being there. So uh, LSU, South Carolina today from the PMAC. Uh, tip-off is less than four hours from the time I'm recording this. So uh, hopefully that you get you get into this before the game. Um, South Carolina is 9-7, 4-0 in the league. LSU is 13-3, 3-0 in the league. Uh, the line sort of indicates my feeling on this game. Uh, LSU is a nine-point favorite. It was nine and a half this morning. It's dropped down to nine. But either way, LSU at home is close to a double-digit favorite in this ball game, and it kind of makes sense. I got um, I got so much respect for Frank Martin, the South Carolina head coach. I mean, he he you had South Carolina in the Final Four a couple of years ago, you know, but that was a a, a team with with NBA guys, you know, Sundarius Thornwell is your SEC Player of the Year type player and. Uh, this team isn't that, but it is impressive that they've managed to push their record to 4-0 in conference. I mean, it's it's saluted. Tennessee, South Carolina, and LSU are the only unbeaten teams in SEC play, and you've got to respect the fact that this team has found ways to win games. Now, you dig a little deeper, and there's a lot you find out about this team. Uh, they lost a home game to Stony Brook earlier this year. Uh, they lost a home game to Providence. They lost a home game to Wofford. Uh, actually, they lost that game by 20. That was 81-61. They lost a home game to Wofford by 20. They went on the road and lost to Wyoming by 9. Uh, they lost at Michigan uh, by double digits. They lost um, at home to West Virginia. Uh, they lost to Clemson. They had a really rough pre-conference, losing to some Power 5 teams and some um, some mid-majors as well. But then they got into conference play, and they haven't lost since. Uh, they went on the road and beat Florida by 2. Uh, got a, a dunk right there at the at the horn to win it. Um, super impressive win beating Mississippi State, uh, 87-82, uh, doing so in overtime. They played Missouri, and that was a weird game where the game got moved to Sunday because Missouri, because of ice, couldn't get out of Columbia, Missouri to fly to Columbia, South Carolina. So the game was played on Sunday instead of Saturday, and uh, Carolina ended up winning that 85-75, and Missouri's not a very good team. And then they went to the Memorial Gym this week and beat Vandy 74-71, and this is really not a very good Vanderbilt team. So uh, you can kind of poo-poo it, uh, and there's some validity to the poo-pooing because I'm not sure there's a great win that they've had so far, but they're 4-0, and they won at Florida, and they beat a ranked Mississippi State team. They keep finding ways to win. Now, um, I think this matchup is super favorable for LSU, 
South Carolina uh, averages 75 points a game, uh, 37 rebounds a game. They allow 71 points a game, which is 180th in the country. Uh, they're led by uh, their leading scorer is a freshman guard named A.J. Lawson. He averages 13 a game. There's another familiar name that you'll uh, that you'll recognize if you, if you follow SEC basketball. Chris Silva is back, and he's a veteran player. He's an all-conference player. He averages 12 points um, and six boards per game. He'll park it down in the low block, and this is probably going to be an assignment for Cavell Bigby Williams. Uh, Silva's 6'9", 234. He's a big-body guy, and you might think, well, that's a Nas Reed assignment. Well, I don't think I want freshman Nas Reed trying to deal with senior Chris Silva. And while Nas is an inch taller, maybe 20 pounds heavier, Chris Silva is a really good collegiate basketball player, probably not your prototypical NBA prospect. That's a reason he's been around the uh, the college game for four years. But there's a reason he averages 12 and 6 as an all-SEC player. And he's just a, a more experienced guy. And he'll park it on the low block, and I'm afraid uh, we've seen Nas Reed be be goaded into bad fouls in situations like that. So I don't think this is a game where you want to put Reed on Silva. I think this is a Cavell on Silva game and see if you can neutralize him offensively and make this a perimeter game for Carolina, where I think LSU has a major edge with you know Marlon Taylor and his ability to defend, and then Tremont Waters, of course, and what he's brought to LSU over the last handful of games since he started coming off the bench, it seemed to get his mind right. And since then, he's just been kind of awesome. So um, I, I, like, I like this matchup a lot for, uh, for LSU. There's, um, there's just an, an awful, lot, uh, awful, lot to, uh, awful lot of reason to like LSU. At home, um, the way that they've been rebounding of late – a crash in the glass, uh, their ability to defend, the total buy-in. LSU averages 82 a game, you know, seven more than Carolina. Um, the field goal percentage and the three-point percentage in conference play is in particular what's super impressive. LSU is averaging 50% from three in conference play. I, it's hard to imagine that holding up over the course of the season, but if LSU keeps getting good shots, they'll certainly be more than competent enough to shoot from three. I would say more impressively, though, is how LSU has been defensively in conference play. Like I was at the, the LSU game earlier this season at home against Greensboro, and that was the 97-91 game. And I sat – I was just lucky enough to sit behind the LSU bench for that game. And in that game, Carol, uh, Greensboro made 19 three-pointers. LSU made nine. Greensboro made 19 three-pointers. They were 19 of 33, shot 57%. And there was so much ball movement, pick and pop, and LSU just didn't defend the three-point line. It goes to show you over the first two months just how much this LSU team has developed from what they were in you know, the first few weeks as they were all learning to play together with this raw talent into that stretch of the schedule where they were playing you know, a, a game every week plus two games over the course of, of 14 days or so. And how much they improved in that time, and Will Wade was aware of it. So this is an LSU team, I think, today where, you know, Naj Reed probably becomes a big factor offensively because Silva is going to draw Cavell, and then I think this is a, a game where Tremont Waters um, has an edge. Carolina's point guard um, is a Georgetown transfer, a, a grad transfer from Georgetown, 
Um, good player, not a great player. Tremont certainly has the edge there. It's hard for me on paper to find anywhere that Carolina has the edge except maybe just with being a veteran team. And that's served them well to this point. But at some point, you would assume talent, when LSU's talent becomes more veteran, it will overwhelm a team like South Carolina. And I think that's going to happen. You look ahead to South Carolina's schedule and probably see them start to come back to the pack as they get into the meet here because they've got at LSU, they're home against Auburn, they play the SEC Big 12 Challenge at Oklahoma State, then they've got Tennessee. It's conceivable that Carolina, after starting 4-0 in league play, could lose their next four they do have a game at Georgia, which is winnable, but then they've got to go to Rupp. So just when you look at their next five conference games, the the only one on there that I would say looks super winnable for them is at Georgia, and that's a road conference game. So it's conceivable they're one in four in their next five conference games, one in six, or one in five in their next six overall, and that sort of flips this start on its head for um uh uh, for South Carolina. Uh, the other guy just to keep an, an eye on as well is Mike Kotzer, who's, um, uh, he's the j- junior forward, 6'11", 264. That's probably going to be the Nas assignment because you're going to want Cavell on, on Silva. So let's see how, um, how Nas does, uh, with that matchup here, uh, today. He's not a big scorer. He's a, a eight and five guy, but he's, he's a big body. He's from Estonia. Um, just another watch, uh, matchup to watch there in the, in the paint, but, I love LSU's depth. I love them at home. Here's hoping it's a great crowd today for LSU in South Carolina and see if the Tigers can go up, get a win, move to 4-0 and conference play and get set for a home date with a really bad Georgia team coming up in the midweek. So big opportunity for Will Wade and his Tigers today at South, at home against uh, South Carolina. All right. It's locked on LSU, your team every day. Um, we're not going to do a Facebook live Q and A, but I, I have gotten a bot. I, I do a morning, uh, well, morning, morning Facebook show every day. I got a lot of questions today about uh, LSU uh, replacing Jerry Sullivan on the football staff. So I'll give you a few thoughts on that when we come back. Locked on LSU, your team every day. We wrap up another edition of Locked on LSU, your team every day. I wanted to give you a, a quick thought as I, I've got a bunch of questions about who replaces Jerry Sullivan on the LSU staff and. As I mentioned, you know, I was kind of out of pocket all week. We we traveled to Houston on Tuesday, and then, you know, Wednesday was a full day of uh, of pre-op, and um, uh, Thursday similar, and then processing the decision, you know, that our son wasn't going to have surgery, and then Friday we traveled home. So I was I've really been out of pocket a lot, but as I've tried to keep my ear to ground, there hasn't really been anything formally coming out of LSU about a replacement on football staff for Jerry Sullivan, of course, the uh, the wide receivers coach, passing game coordinator who announced his retirement. By the way, really, really well-done feature by Brody Miller of uh, NOLA.com, the Times-Picayune, about Jerry Sullivan. Um, I really enjoy uh, good journalism and writers that, uh, or really anybody in media, um, who who digs and works for a story and does more than just shows up at a press conference and crafts something together and throws it online, which anybody can do. So I wanted to mention that. Great job by Brody on the feature piece on Jerry Sullivan. It's at NOLA.com, the Times, Vicky Yoon. I retweeted it. So if you want to go read it, I would highly recommend it. Uh, really, really well done by, uh, by Brody Miller. So the question people have is who's going to replace Jerry Sullivan? And by now I think you know my feelings on it. I, I think you need someone young and innovative with new ideas that can supplement 
what Steve Ensminger is doing and potentially even be the next guy to take over as offensive coordinator uh, when Steve Ensminger retires, which could be you know, after next season when his two-year contract is up. Uh, if you missed on a, on a previous episode uh, of Locked on LSU, played comments from former LSU quarterbacks Matt Flynn, Rohan Davey, who, was said, who said essentially the same thing. And you know, these are guys that were backup quarterbacks to legendary NFL quarterbacks and Super Bowl winners. Rohan Davey backed up Tom Brady in New England. Matt Flynn backed up uh, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. He also spent a time in New Orleans backing up Drew Brees and in New England backing up Tom Brady. So uh, those guys have a wealth of experience in football and know how championship football is played at that level. And they sort of shared similar thoughts. Um, but it comes down to sort of the practical who. And uh, I've mentioned before that I have heard two names. Um, not comfortable at this point mentioning either of the names, uh, but both are very close to Ed Ogeron. We've talked about before Ed is kind of a, for lack of a better phrase, kind of a, a friends and family coach. Uh, he hires guys that he's worked with, that he's familiar with. Uh, maybe he feels that develops a really good rapport on staff, and that's what he goes after. The, the one time he kind of went outside of his circle was – the Matt Canada hire, and we all know how that went. So I don't think it's a surprise that he hires someone close. And I can tell you one of one of them is an NFL name. And when you kind of um, track you know, Ed Ogeron's career, where he's been, guys he's worked with, it, it's not hard to find, um, especially with the four teams that are still playing in the NFL playoffs right now, because anybody else would be available, right? I mean, theoretically – if you're if you're at Ogeron, you want to move on this hire as quickly as possible because the February signing date is rapidly approaching, and you'd like to have that guy in place to be able to recruit the the prospects that are still out there um, that might be playing for this person. So you'd like to have that that announcement made and that person in place. Um, it's tough to do if that person is still coaching. So uh, one. One of the possibilities I'm comfortable saying is coaching this weekend in the NFL. Um, and, and you can sort of play the, the connect the dots. Uh, again, I'm not comfortable giving a name, but uh, it would make a lot of sense. The two that I've heard, I'll go back and say that I, I don't believe either would be, will be this splash major, like sexy name that everyone goes, Oh, like, when USC hired Cliff Kingsbury or, or something along those lines, I guess it's not going to be that. Uh, but functionally speaking, I think they're on the right track, and, and it could work out really well. So I'll be interested to see if they're able to consummate a deal. Well, certainly they, they will at some point uh, with, with somebody. Uh, and if they're able to, to work it out uh, to get this thing done, uh, before National Signing Day, or if it comes after that formally, but um, it, if if absolutely nothing else, even though the names I've heard aren't super splashy names, at least it's it's along the lines of getting younger, being innovative within the offense now, consummating a deal, and then practically and functionally integrating some of those concepts into the offense. Um, we'll see, you know, ultimately whenever the ball's kicked off and they're calling plays on a Saturday, how it might manifest. 
But if nothing else, it appears as though that that's the direction that they're looking to head with this hire, at least at this point. So that's going to do it for another edition of Locked on LSU. Appreciate you for being here. Again, if you have not yet, please, 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 I beg of you, subscribe to the podcast. It helps so much. I'll leave a rating on iTunes or however you consume podcasts. I really, really sincerely appreciate it. Uh, we'll hopefully see you, uh, if not tomorrow, certainly Monday for Locked on LSU, your team every day.